You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. The natural tongue, James says, is untamable. That's the same point he made back in verse 2. No one can tame the tongue. Only the perfect man could do that. So he makes a comparison. No one can tame the tongue. Okay, that's bad. Yeah, but think about all the things that mankind can tame. I mean, we've done a pretty good job in the animal world. A lot of things have been tamed, he says. Every species has been tamed by the human race. Wow. By the way, tame doesn't mean domesticated and brought into the house. It means brought under control and used for whatever the human being wants to use it for. When you were a child, going to the circus was an exciting adventure. You got to see such amazing things, especially the animal acts. Today, Pastor Tom shares that people have been able to train all kinds of animals to do what they want them to do. From elephants to birds, we've learned to control these wild creatures. But as today's study points out, there's something we've never been able to control, our tongues. This passage explains that our words are out of control because our hearts are far from God. Now here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter 3 as he continues his message, wielding your tongue for good or for ill. Guess what we bring along with us all the way through life is our tongue. None of you have cut it out yet, have you? You know, so it's still in there and you still have your tongue, vast majority of us. And when you were a kid, you had your tongue. And you know, when you were a teen, you had your tongue. And when you were a young man or young lady, you had your tongue. And now, if you have gray hair and stuff, you still have your tongue. So you still got to deal with it. And, it. and it sets on fire. The whole course of life is the idea. It even has possibly the idea of, of going out and touching everyone else around you. Like, not just your life, but it sets on fire all of those that are around you as well. You know the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. No, I think words can actually burn. can really hurt a lot. The tongue has more impact than you think. And when I say the tongue, I mean your tongue. Because I think sometimes we listen and we think of other people who are of influence. I've said this before, or other people who have hurt us. But I want you focusing on your tongue. I'm trying to do the same with mine. The tongue has, it has influence, and it, it really can hurt people. And, and, and to think about it, just think about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, if you have that kind of history, 20 years ago, that thing that that person said to you that really, really hurt your feelings. you remember what it was? Huh? Do you remember? Do you remember? Because you remember. You can't, you can't hardly erase it from you. You know who it is. You know where it was. You could probably tell the time of day, you know, what you were wearing. It really hurt, and it stuck. You know exactly what it was. And they got you. And you still have it in there. And you say, Pastor Lee, why are you bringing up sore memories? Because it's still in there, and that's the damage that it did, you know? By the way, good advice for that came from a New York lady once. remember her telling me this in a very confident way. She says, I never let anybody rent space in my head. <laughs> that's one you got to think about a little bit, you know? But we let people rent space in our head and just keep talking and talking and talking. It's like, get out of there, you know? What are you doing in my head? But we let people do that, and it messes us up. But you don't have to let them in there. You can evict them, you know? And that's what you need to do. You need to evict them. Some pretty good advice. Well, as you roll on through life, you're going to meet more and more people. You're going to meet, hopefully, some new people this year, next year, and your tongue's going to still be active. And, like, what's your tongue going to do for them or, or to them? You know, think about that a little bit. 
You know, you don't want it to burn them. You want it to bless them, right? All right. Now, the last description in verse 6 is the most sober, and it says, is set on fire by hell. I told you we were descending. <laughs> Literally, this is bad. This is like the final punctuation mark. Is set on fire by hell. The tongue burns us. The tongue burns folks around us. The tongue burns to all of life. The tongue is a fire. Where does the tongue get the fire from? And the answer is, it's set on fire by hell. Or the word is Gehenna. A specific name actually refers to a well-known ravine outside of Jerusalem used as a garbage dump for that city. Originally, this ravine was where child sacrifices to the false god Moloch were made. Other terrible things happened there throughout Israel's history. When Josiah became king of Israel, he declared the place unclean in 2 Kings 23. In New Testament times, it was still there, and garbage was being dumped into it, and so it was a place that was typically always smoldering and always burning and always had a pile of waste, and so with a pile of waste, always had a lot of worms in it eating away. By the way, does that sound familiar? That is the uh, ravine that Jesus had in his mind when he talked about Gehenna and then related that to a worse fire, which would be the eternal fire, or what we call hell, right? In Mark 9... 45, 47 to 48, it says, if your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into Gehenna, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. It's always burning and there's always decay there. It's interesting. What's hell going to be like? It's always going to be burning. It's always going to be hurting and it's never going to completely consume. It's always going to be decaying. It's always going to be eating away, and it's never going to completely demolish. What a terrible description. That's eternity without Christ. You should run from that to Christ, right? And so Gehenna became known as the place of the damned. By the way, not a place to celebrate. That's the silly part about Halloween, is celebrating their own damnation, some of them. I don't even realize it. I can't think of anything more stupid than to celebrate your eternal damnation, the case of some of them. I know others are not doing that on that day. But hell is not a place of fun. You know, it's a place of extreme torture. Only a fool looks forward to a place of extreme torture. The tongue, we're told here, gets its flame from Gehenna. Now, I think Gehenna is being used here as a metonym for hell's eventual inhabitant who's going to be the false prophet, the Antichrist, but more particularly, finally, the devil. Hell was created for who? The devil and his angels. The, the devil is behind the world's system that the tongue gives voice to. It only makes sense then that the devil and hell is the source of the tongue's fire. You might picture here the underground flame, and there's this burning fire underneath the ground. You know, sometimes it burns underneath the ground, but there's openings, and the fire and the flames jettison out of there, and then they, they come up into the human being, and they light his tongue on fire, and then the fire shoots, the tongue shoots out its fire, and it burns other people. The source is from below, and then it goes through the human tongue to burn others as well. Terrible picture of the human tongue, isn't it? 
Dr. Hebert writes, The tongue is only the fuse. The source of the deadly fire is hell itself. The evils of an uncontrolled tongue have a connection with the unseen spiritual world of evil. We say sometimes the devil got a hold of your tongue. That's exactly right. The pulpit commentary writes this, Unsanctified speech scorches and consumes. The liar scatters firebrands. The slanderer kindles lament flames. The profane swearer spits the fire of hell into the face of God. Just as fire spoils with its smoke, the tongue stirs up the heart's corruption and uses it to stain one's own life and character. The ultimate inspiration of this destructive agency is of infernal origin. This fire is devil-lighted, hell-kindled. Satan loaded the human tongue at the fall with dynamite, and every day he ignites the treacherous magazine from the unquenchable fire. Terrible, terrible. How terrible our tongues can be. How destructive. Well, James is not done. He has one more proof or indication of the power of the tongue, and that's in verses 7 and 8, if you'd look at that. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. That's neat. But, verse 8, no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Again, I told you before that this is so negative about the tongue, you might think that James is exaggerating, but he's not. Again, we see that this speaks of the tongue, of course, not under the influence of our new nature in Christ, not under the influence of the Holy Spirit, but under the influence of our natural nature that is in in Adam. The natural tongue, James says, is untamable. That's the same point he made back in verse 2. No one can tame the tongue. Only the perfect man could do that. So he makes a comparison. No one can tame the tongue. Okay, that's bad. Yeah, but think about all the things that mankind can tame. I mean, we've done a pretty good job in the animal world. A lot of things have been tamed, he says. Every species has been tamed by the human race. Wow. By the way, tame doesn't mean domesticated and brought into the house. It means brought under control and used for whatever the human being wants to use it for. And species don't take that as a technical term. We're not, we're not using technical language here in James. It's uh, more of uh, observable categories. The Bible's categories are, are simpler and they're broader. And he gives a fourfold distinction of the animal character here. And you can, you can see what he's talking about here in these different characteristics. It's pretty simple. It's really a division of the animal world that we could trace back to the Genesis creation account. Genesis 1.28, where God made mankind and made them the rule. He said, God blessed them, that is the male and the female, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And then specifically over all the animals, which are a really great part of God's creation, he says, rule over them. Rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. You could see the very broad general categories of the animal world. After the flood, when you enter into the new world with Noah, he gets off the ark, and the same is repeated. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky, with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are given. And so mankind, he repeats, was given authority over all of the animal world and had that domain. Psalm 8 celebrates this. Talking to God said, you made mankind rule over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, 
And then he specifies, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, and whatever passes through the paths of the sea. Now, maybe some giant sea monster or blue whale or something. The point is very simple. The human race, us, we people, man, was put here on the planet, and we were given the right to rule over all of the creatures, no matter what, what kind they were, no matter how great or small. Man has been able to tame them. We have been able to do this because God gave us the ability to do that. He gave us the mind to think up how to do that, and he gave us the right and the dominion over the animal world. It's not an accident that mankind is able to get this kind of a creature and that kind of a creature and bring them into a circus and show them what to do and get them to jump through a hoop or do whatever. That is exactly what God gave man the ability to do. Those are fun things, but also to use animals for work. God is our creator, and he set it up all this way. He set it up so we'd be successful. So we have been. And when you look, and look at what the ancients did and what moderns are doing, it's really fascinating. All kinds of creatures have been tamed. Again, don't think of that as brought into the house. Think of that as they've been brought in subjection under man to do what man wants him to do. You read about the fastest creatures being brought under control, falcons, cheetahs, the strongest, the elephant or tiger, the most cunning, the uh, serpent or the fox, the most elusive creatures. They've all been harnessed, commanded, controlled in some way at some time. Someone came up with a know-how to do that. That's what the human race collectively have, have done. Birds are tamed, sea creatures are tamed, land animals, creepy things, reptiles, mammals, rodents. I saw this website that had a mouse on a little miniature surfboard. It was incredible. <laughs> saw another one. They had an elephant shooting, uh, shooting baskets. It was like he's better than some of you guys playing basketball, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Big cats, bears, raccoons, cockatiels, they all get tamed. You know, I know some of the animal advocate people are trying to ruin the circus and get the elephants out of that. I want the elephants in the circus. I'm going to, if I go to the circus, I want to see the elephants, for goodness sake, you know? I want my money back if I can't see the elephants. <laughs> it's incredible what they can do. Crack of the whip, the tiger does this, snap their fingers. Or the dog shows, they're incredible. Those dog shows are incredible. Then there's SeaWorld, you know, the, the porpoises, the dolphins leaping through all the things they do and, and laughing at the right time and killer whales and, you know, now they got a tortoise climbing up on a rock and smoking a pipe. They got that going on now. No, I'm just kidding you about that. I'm just kidding about that. But it's incredible what they can do with these animals. I mean, every time you see it, you want to change careers and you want to join them and be an animal trainer. By the way, some of these animal rights people are morally wrong. They don't have a right. They don't have the higher ground on this. They're morally wrong. They're messing up the relationship between humanity and animals. I'm not saying we should abuse them, but we certainly have the right to kill them. We were given dominion over them. God specifically said, I've given them into your hand, and some of the commandments in the Bible required the slaughtering of animals. So that's a very clear biblical teaching, and observationally it's clear. And so those people are not leading the way forward for us. They're taking us into darkness. We rule. God said so not the animals. They don't have the same rights as us, period. And, and to say so is indefensible. When you ever say they have rights, why do they have rights? There's no answer to that. They can't give a cogent answer to that. Why do they have rights? They don't have any rights. Who gave them rights? Did you give them rights? The, are they included in the Bill of Rights? God didn't give them rights. God put them under our, our hand. 
Now, James points out that this was going on long before his day. Animals were tamed way back before his day. We think of James as ancient, and he's going way back before his day they were doing this with animals. And then during his day as well. Now, some of the things they did in the Roman Colosseum were just terrible, slaughtering a number of beautiful animals for nothing but just the lust of blood. Brutal, brutal. But it does show at least what they were doing with many of the animals controlling them even at that point. Now, back to the main point. No one, not back then, not now, has conquered this one animal called Ironically, man who has given dominion over the whole planet in creation lost control of his tongue in the fall. These two theological truths undergird this whole discussion by James. Man rules the animal world from the created order. There's just one thing he doesn't rule. He doesn't rule his own tongue. Why not? Because of the fall of man in the sin. The tongue, keep in mind, was a wonderful gift. You ever listen to someone sing just beautifully the praises of God? And you're like, wow, that is just fantastic what the tongue can do, you know? It's just amazing, you know? But uh, even that person who sings amazingly can't control his tongue from saying rude things at times, right? Tongue was a wonderful, wonderful gift. With our tongue, we're going to learn later that we praise God. But with our tongue, unfortunately, we curse men made in the image of God. The tongue was given uh, to Adam and Eve to enhance their relationship. By the way, a good talking in marriage, that helps. Good communication. The tongue was given there for that. The tongue was given for good communication friend to friend, man to man, so they could work together, cooperate together. That's why when God didn't want them to cooperate together, He confused their what? Their tongues, their languages, so now they couldn't, and they had to form their nations. The tongue helps man be educated. He thinks of how to describe something and define something and then it gets put in the language and then it gets spoken and that helps everyone else to learn what that's about. This is a wonderful gift, the tongue. The tongue was there naming the animals before Adam fell into sin. But now, after the fall, the tongue is not controllable. Guy just goes and does whatever he wants to do. And it started instantly when men fell into sin. You know, Adam's first sin after biting in, was to slander God, speak ill of Him, and then to shift the blame to the woman and to God. It's a form of lying. In this now fallen but now natural condition to humanity, the ultimate taming of the tongue is impossible. Many of you watch the congressional hearings and you see them saying, you can tell they hate each other's guts, but their words are just the nicest to one. Well, Senator, I, respectfully, I respect that. I respect that opinion. It happens not to be my opinion. I want to know what they were saying when all the microphones were turned off, you know, and they're going back and they're like, <laughs> on both sides. You know what I mean? That's where you find out what's really going on. I guarantee it came out, by the way. The tongue parades its invective there. Whatever evil is in the mind will eventually come out of the mouth. So it's not in public, but it's going to be in the backyard. It's going to be in the whispered conversations in the corner, right? The tongue just not controllable. No one has tamed the tongue. James actually says no one can tame the tongue. Why not? Because it expresses the heart. What does the Bible say about the heart? 
Jeremiah 17, 9, you know it, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Well, if no one can understand a heart, then no one can understand the heart's voice or tame it. Hebrews 3.10, therefore I was angry with this generation, this is God talking, and said they always go astray in their heart. Now we're right back to where we were in verse 2 with universal sin. We all stumble in many ways. Why is there universal sin? Because there's a sin nature that's universal to man. Every single human being is born a human being. You agree with that? And being born a human being, they're born part of Adam's race, and that's all fallen. So they're born sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because our nature is sinful. So we are. Ephesians 2.3 says, we are by nature children of wrath. That means subject to God's wrath because of our sin. Well, now there's two final hideous attributes. I'll try to go through them quickly. And they show why it's so hard to tame the tongue. Because it comes from a depraved nature. Notice, it is a restless evil. Restless is the same word used back in chapter 1, verse 8, translated double-minded. In other words, the tongue is not settled. It's also unstable. It's restless because it's always about to jump out of its cage. It's pacing back and forth. It wants to go on a rampage. When you open the cage, it leaps out and it does what it wants to do. Just picture that. There it is pacing back and forth. You know, it's a wild animal. No one can tame this particular animal. You open the cage and there it goes. And you cannot control it. You tell it no. You crack the whip. It does not heal. It does not obey. It cannot be trusted to stay put. It won't obey. This is like when you say nothing in the presence of someone you dislike, you know, and you're nice. And the moment you get in the car and the door shuts and the windows go up, you know, you, you turn to your wife or your husband and you go, I don't like that person. I hate them. Blah, 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 blah. They did this. Just leaping out, tacking like an animal. Can't be trusted. Or you're watching TV and someone comes up and you're like, I hate that guy. And all the hatred and anger comes out. There it is again, that restless animal. Or you're with your wife and she, she doesn't even say a thing. She just gives you that look. <laughs> or whatever that look is. And then like the animal comes out again. <laughs> Pounce. The second hideous attribute is it's full of deadly poison. Again, this is an animal attribute. Romans 3.13 says something similar. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Wow. The tongue is like a poisonous serpent, in other words. It's all coiled up, and it's there. It's ready to spring out and, and to bite and then inject its poison. You just say the wrong thing at the wrong time, and I'm going to get you. That's what the tongue is thinking. Come in gently and kindly to that person who had a bad day and you got a pretty good chance that she won't be bit by the viper or by the cobra. That's Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer, what? Turns away wrath. So you're kind of going carefully around the cobra, you know, carefully. But you come in and you say the wrong thing after someone's had a bad day, you zoom, bang, they got you, injected right into you. It's like that public office worker. They've been trying really nice for the last 15 people coming up to their desk. And you come up at the wrong time and say, well, you know, you're late. And I don't. And the zoom, tom, gotcha, injected, poison right in there. Watch out. The tongue strikes faster than any snake. And by the way, it can reach all the way across the room. Richardson says, it's a wagging, lashing, writhing, and virulent creature. 
Its evil gets the best of all who do not keep it in check. MacArthur writes, the venom is more deadly than a snake's because it can destroy morally, socially, economically, and spiritually. Well, I had a conclusion to all of this, and that was how to help you tame the tongue. And so we'll have to save that for uh, the next time we're, we're here. Thanks for joining us today. As Pastor Tom continued his look at why the tongue is impossible to tame on our own, you were reminded that the things that you say are rooted in your fallen nature, in the brokenness of your heart. That darkness keeps bubbling up and comes out in your words. Pastor Tom explained that because of that, your tongue is like a restless, caged animal that's just waiting for an opportunity to escape. Those destructive words will explode out when given the chance. With sad yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Lee, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit hopebible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. Come back next time when Pastor Tom will help you understand what you can do to bring your tongue under control. He'll get at this by focusing on how you worship God. Do you spend time praising Him and then turn around and slander someone you know? Pastor Tom shares that properly relating to God requires that you have goodwill toward people. He'll invite you to explore how to do this. There's much more to learn from the book of James, so we hope you'll tune in again next time. If you'd like to listen again to today's teaching or share it with friends and family, you'll find it online at hopebible.org. Thanks for joining us on Discover Hope.